I think, I, I suppose I kind of see it as my job, Dave, to kind of surround myself with people who just know more than me. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me for today's show, we've got a quiche. Hello. Sat opposite the table in the office. Isn't this nice? Very good. Good on a Monday as well. Less less noise yeah. around. But having said, having said that, someone just <laughs> shouted. So uh, there we go. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. You know, less noise on a Monday. And it's, yeah, suddenly someone just chose to shout. That was good. Yeah. Speaking of noise, it was the Grammys last night. Mm. Beyonce becoming the most successful artist in history. A lot of artists, isn't it, that? That's, I think I think yeah. it was a thirty something, thirty second Grammy. It's a lot. Yeah, it's quite good. Fine, she's been around for a bloody. She has long been time around now. a long time, like was, twenty odd years. I was just talking about this actually to someone. I remember the first time I listened to. It, I was ten years old, I think. Bit of Destiny's Child, writings on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe less than ten actually. Yeah. And now I'm thirty one, so over twenty years. Yeah, that's crazy. Very, very good. Incredible success. Mm. You know what musicians are? They are trailblazers. They are. And here is a very tenuous link after a moment or two of random chit-chat about music. We've got two trailblazers on the show this week. Well, three, actually, because one of our interviews is a double act. Mm. Um, we're going to bring you two interviews, one with the founder and CEO of Wilder, Max, um, and one with Dan and Kieron, the co-founders of Protex AI. Today, I'm joined by Kieran and Dan, co-founders of Protex AI, an Irish business uh, implementing AI into well into heavy industry. How would you describe how you're how you're implementing Protex? Yeah, I guess I guess from our side, our one liner, which we spent about three months trying to figure out, uh, is commerce software that identifies danger before people get hurt for the industrial workforce. So like I said, like heavy industry, logistics, warehousing, a little bit of manufacturing as well. And when you say, you know, before people get hurt, specifically, what are we talking about? We're talking about kind of machinery here that could cause serious injury and AI stepping in and making sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think the the big thing, Dave, in, in industry nowadays is that these facilities are just becoming much more dynamic because you've... Uh, big machinery, you've robots, you've autonomous vehicles, and, and then you've workers at the core and, and at the center of that. And I think understanding how these uh, vehicles and workers and the whole environment operates together is really important. So what we do at Protex is we give our clients the visibility and the know-how to spot incidents before they occur. So picking up on trends, um, picking up on behaviors that might be happening um, you know, behind their behind behind their backs really uh, and giving that, them that information to, to make changes before the, the incidents actually occur so in the case of maybe a, a forklift causing a crash uh, yes it, it can cause a crash but actually what happened in the months leading up to that crash and that's the data and, and the insights that, that we present to, to EHS teams. And I suppose people immediately when they hear when they hear people talk about autonomous vehicles they immediately probably jump to kind of a a road setting and horror stories or, or fears. I shouldn't say horror stories because that's that sensationalizing stuff that is unfair to do so. But the kind of the worst case scenarios that people have when, when AI is involved, yet you're talking about environments where there's very, very repeatable actions, where it's a production line, where it is easier to spot those trends because if it's a production line, it's the same actions that are happening day on day, right? Yeah, I it's, it's interesting. We speak to clients all the time about this stuff. And we had a really interesting one where 
uh, one client said, you know, when something happens, the first thing you, you, you think is, gosh, this, this couldn't be the first time. You know, it must have been near miss or something must have led to this. This couldn't have been the first time that this this incident occurred that led to the accident. And when you when you look at the environment you work in, it's all fixed. Like you said, it's, it's production lines or or warehouse with the same aisles and stuff. So it's, it's a controlled environment in relation to what's going on, but certainly uncontrolled in how they manage the data. So what led you to, to be working in this or trying to solve this particular problem? Because, you know, you're too young guys um production lines wouldn't seem to be the most obvious thing to for people in their kind of mid to early 20s to go yeah this is a problem we're going to try and fix yeah i, th- I think I'm, I'm 28 now Kieran's 26 just turned 26 i'm glad we're still considered young even though i feel like 27 was my aging year um <laughs> but uh but yeah you're right you're right like it, it's such a it's such a random one to get into we for, for context though one of our clients said uh, you know, it's a lot easier to think outside the box when you've never been in it, which I think is a nice way to think. Well, that's a good excuse we use for for being innovative in the space. Um, but I think that's kind of where we... Yeah, I, I think it's identifying the problem. We identified that there was a problem there and that people were getting hurt, people were getting injured, in some cases, you know, getting killed in, in the workplace. Um, we came at it from the technology standpoint. We understood that there was a technology called computer vision that was maturing quite rapidly, that was becoming to be accepted um, and I suppose the barriers that were there maybe five ten years ago you know have lowered so we saw a massive opportunity to say look this is an industry that we really think we can make a difference with this technology and and that's how it started out it didn't happen overnight we you know we really took time to understand the problem because as Dan said we don't come from the industry ourselves so I think trying to, to get an insight as to what EHS people do um, what they do day to day and what their biggest problems are. And, and I think we saw fairly early on that, you know, health and safety as an industry is, is extremely reactive. So people tend to wait for things to happen because they don't have the data to, to preempt it. Um, and that's where we saw a massive gap to actually give them that data to be proactive and make decisions before um, accidents happen, as Dan said. What are your respective backgrounds? Over. I go first. So, so, so I'm an engineer by trade. Uh, I come from an engineering background, uh, studied electronic and computer engineering, um, worked in industry for a bit, decided to go back to research uh, for a small bit. Um, that stint didn't last too long. Uh, this guy beside me convinced me to, to drop out, uh, sold me the dream uh, about uh, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, so yeah, I come from a technical background. And... Yeah, and uh, I, was, I was just itching to do something else. So I'd done the previous company, uh, nothing to do with safety, nothing to do with industry at all. Uh, but I, but it was an exam software company for universities called Better Examinations, and I exited that in in twenty nineteen. So I was just itching to do something else. And myself and Kieran and known each other for but since we were 12, 12, 13 years old. Uh, we're actually going back to speak at the event that we first met at um, uh, this week. So that'd be fun. Um, but we were just shooting shooting ideas at each other and. Um, uh, and just decided to kind of get into it. But I did an economics degree, uh, so totally different to, to, to what we're in there. Most founding partnerships don't have that luxury of, I suppose, probably a shorthand of knowing each other as well as the two of you do. Is that sometimes a slight, uh, I mean, obviously there's going to be huge amounts of positives to it, but is it sometimes a slight problem in that maybe you, you tend to get a little bit excited about ideas? Do you have to have someone to kind of put the handbrake on and go, come on, guys, like you two know each other really well. You're going to get excited about each other's ideas. Have, have you had someone kind of 
sense check it? I, I think what's really nice, and, and I suppose we're, we're very lucky in the situation that we're in, is that our skill sets, you know, the overlap in our skill sets is, is quite small. Um, yes, I know a small bit about business. Yes, Dan knows a small bit about tech. Uh, but I think our, our expertise in, in business and tech, you know, overlap just enough so that there's, you know, I stay in my lane uh, to an extent and Dan can stay in his lane. Um, so I think we're very good at, I suppose, playing devil's advocate against each other. So Dan coming at it from the, the business head, so putting his business cap on and, and myself coming from the engineering side. So um, I think there's engineering, there's ideas from both sides. Um, I don't think we, we shoot each other's ideas down, but what I think we do do is, is we kind of pull each other back down to, to, to the ground when, when we, we get very excited just yeah. by virtue of the fact that we have different backgrounds. Definitely. I think, I think I'm an incredibly emotional person as well. Kieran's a very consistent person, which definitely helps because uh, we, we balance each other out on that end as well. Growth is the, is the kind of the, the thing that all startups are aiming for. Um, you guys are definitely growing quickly. You've raised a huge amount of money, which we'll, we'll come to, I'm sure, shortly. Um, how is that dynamic between the two of you where I suppose... Kiran, you're probably slightly more pragmatic on the growth side and what can be achieved. And Dan, with the business head on, maybe you want to go as fast as you possibly can. How does how does that dynamic work between the two of you? I, th- I think it took it, not that it took a while to get it, but I think we, we've learned together, which is nice. So it wasn't a case where one of us knew a lot more than the other. It was the fact we kind of grew together and and, and understood the boundaries of what we could tell customers or, or could do for customers rather, and what was feasibly possible. So it started out with me just being like can we do this? And it could be the most bullshitty idea ever um, and would be shut down by the tech team and vice versa if if the tech team have an idea to try and push push that further. But I don't. I, I think we've got a really good relationship with that now on how we manage that. Yeah, that, I think, again, it comes back to, to balance, Dave. And I think uh, it's, you know, from our perspective, it's, it's really important that the way that we communicate and the way that we share ideas is is consistent with the way we want to feed down into the team. So I suppose setting that culture from the top and and, and making it kind of, I suppose, filter down into the, the functions and, and the individuals in the team, I think it's really important. I think it's it's really important to respect, uh, I suppose, your, your, uh, your team members. And I think that's what myself and Dan try and do. And I think, uh, as, as Dan said, maybe at the start, you know, pulling in opposite directions in some cases, but I think what we've become very, very good at is is almost being um, able to understand what what we're thinking uh, and being able to, to communicate really effectively. Yeah, I think just adding on that, one thing we always have is this openness to ideas from everybody. You know, we we've grown pretty rapidly in the last last year. You know, we only entered the market about a year and a bit ago, even less. Um, but at the same time, we have this openness with everybody in, in the company for, for sharing ideas. Uh, like we have this one funny story where um, one of the girls on our team, she joined when we were about five, six people, I think it was, uh, 21 years old, um, came from a, a software background and she sat in the room with, with all of the team at the time. Uh, and we went through a whole presentation and it was a technical one. So I was just sitting watching it. And she said, we're doing that wrong. We should be doing it this way. And everyone kind of paused because uh, we were like, well, what's going to happen next? And Kieran was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. And we, we did that, you know, and I think that openness and transparency in, in what we do is is stemming right from from ourselves down to down to the new hires. I'm interested. That's, that's an interesting kind of flexibility of thought within the organization. Um, if you could translate that to investors, 
that might be something that they see as a real positive because they're probably going to want to be able to mold you to a certain degree. How do you how do you balance that that slight fine line between sticking to your guns and 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 having your idea and trying to grow the business that you're looking to grow and also taking on board external ideas especially when it comes to investment uh and making sure that you're building something that that gets traction um from 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 backers i I think when you talk about investors i think again we're very very lucky in the investors we've been able to bring on and i think one thing we've done from day one is i suppose try to ensure that whoever we do bring on is fully bought into what we're doing and again we've been very lucky um, to have investors in in ireland and and the uk as well um, and the states that i suppose uh, supplement um, our ideas that augment the the ideas that we come to the table with Um, and i think to start off they need you need to ensure that they have the the same or support the same vision that 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 you have um, and I think that's something again we've been very very lucky with. Yeah, we we only take on investors, and we've been lucky in that we had a lot of um, interest uh, from the get go. Um, but we always say in all of our conversations that we only will bring on people, and 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 that includes investors who can push the business. We haven't had trouble raising money, thank God, you know. But um, but certainly we only take people who understand what we're on. If it, I think if people don't get it in the first meeting or so, we're it, as much as we're not a fit for them. An investor might not be a fit for us. And having investors that are on that same wavelength certainly has helped us to get to where we are. You say you haven't had trouble uh, raising money. How much did you raise in your last round? So eight, 18 million. Um, 18 million dollars, yeah? Yeah, yeah. What do you put that success down to? I think starting very, very early on, and I can say very, very early on, it, it was hard to raise money. Um, it, it was, um, I suppose, a lot of work in understanding the industry we're in, understanding the product that we're building, and, and most importantly, understanding the customers that we were selling to. Um, I suppose by chance, early on, we we built a network of individuals in the EHS space, um, and uh, I suppose call it coincidence, call it chance, some of those, I suppose, people ended up investing. And I think one thing we went to the table with really was looking for advice. Uh, we, we didn't go to investors, go to, to people looking to raise money straight away. We were looking to, I suppose, leverage and, and, and learn from them um, and see what they can bring to the table. And I think that goes twofold because what that gave us is it gave us the, um, I suppose, understanding that these types of people can add value as, as well as the capital that they can add. And, and I think that that extra value add on top of the capital is, is what's really, really important. So I think just having conversations with people who are interested in the space, who are forward thinking, um, and can add ideas and, and bring ideas to the, to, to the table. You mentioned earlier on um, that it was good to be outside the box, to think outside the box. Uh, how easy or difficult did you find it getting traction with people in the industry as two people who hadn't worked and look putting putting that positive comment to one side what what were the barriers that you came up against when you came i I suppose when you're entering a market that's not been disrupted and probably probably doesn't have many people like yourselves working in it and trying to to get through the door and and get people to listen yeah that's good it's a good point how do we get back in the box um (laughs) so uh do you know what it is i think i think if you go in with especially from our perspective maybe we did it unknown to ourselves but if you go in and just say we're the experts here we know exactly what's happening this is how you should be working blah 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 
you're of course going to get pushback, right? So what we did instead, and Kieran touched on it there with investors and stuff, but we, we did it with customers. We went in and said, hey, look, this is what we're working on. We think it's pretty cool. Um, I remember uh, I, I listened to, to something the other day where, where sales is, the, is a transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another. Um, and, and that's what we did. We went in and we said, hey, these, this thing we're working on, can we get your advice on it? Um, and like we'd interviewed a bunch of people, thought we had a good idea. And the great thing about what we're doing, especially in the world that we're in, in, in you know, environment, health and safety, it's not competitive. It's not a case where, you know, uh, like we, we work with like Procter & Gamble, Marks & Spencer, DHL, you know, some of the biggest brands in, on, the, on the planet. Um, but they're not competing with each other on safety. Everybody wants to have their environment to be as safe as possible for their workers. And they're very happy to share that. And when you come in and showing, you know, means or, or, or methods to make that even safer, it's really well received. I think kind of feeding off that one thing again by chance or or, or or by luck that you know the insights that we pulled from those customers is we understood that they are the experts and they understand their environments their facilities a lot more than we ever will if we spend a week two weeks in their environment we're still not going to understand it as, as well as they do so I think that's the way we started to build the product and, and the way the product is built and the way it is now is it enables the EHS teams the EHS professionals to leverage their domain knowledge, the domain knowledge that they've built up over years and years of experience um, and putting rules in place where they can actually understand what's happening. And I think that's the biggest thing we've learned is that uh, leave the health and safety to the health and safety professionals. What we're doing is, is really kind of coming off the back of that, understanding how they're working and giving them the tools to do their job even better um, and to protect their workers um, even better as well. It's, it's interesting insight because you you know you talk to a lot of would-be entrepreneurs and and especially kind of where, where technology is involved and they are entering industries that previously these these people wouldn't have have operated in so leaving them to do their job and giving them the tools i think is is it's probably very good advice for a number of people out there um okay just as a last point um you are part of the esg movement except you you on the surface wouldn't wouldn't appear to be kind of if i said oh protects ai you're an ai consultancy people wouldn't immediately think of esg how how important is that especially when you're recruiting people into the team to make them kind of see the bigger picture and, and how this all kind of fits together yeah I, I think for us it goes back to our mission and i think you know our company was founded on top of a, a story whereby one of my relatives unfortunately had a, a very unfortunate fatality um, in, a, in a facility that they were operating in. Um, and for us, when we get up on a Monday morning after a, a long weekend, um, we're excited to come into work and to, to build technology and to build a, a company that can actually make a difference and, and potentially save someone's life. And I think the people that we've been able to bring on, be it investors or, or uh, employees, share that mission. They share the vision that, that we have and they're excited about it. Um, and I think having purpose is, is one thing that that's that's quite big for us. So feeding back into the EHS industry, um, you know, we have the potential to make a real positive impact. Um, and the way we're doing that is giving EHS professionals the tools to do their job um, as, as good as they can do it. Look, it's, it's fascinating to talk to you both. Um, it was a pleasure to meet you at the end of last year in Lisbon. Um, hopefully bump into you at some point. Who knows where? Maybe, probably not Ireland. Uh, at some point over the next 12 months or so but uh, I, I hope that, that this year and the growth that you've got ahead of you goes well thanks, thanks so much Dave right I don't know what jumped out at you but mm. I mean from my perspective the raising money piece yeah obviously interesting yeah um, as well as barriers 
to entering a market and trying to kind of get through the door or as, as Dan said, get back in the box. Yeah. I also like the thing where he said the best place to think, was it the best place to think outside the box is not be in the box yourself? Yeah. Something along those lines. I don't know if I've quoted it word for word, but I thought that was really, really good. Yeah, he uh, said that to prior, prior to getting back in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, yeah, I thought, you know, I think the way the way you got to look at it is, is they've obviously got something where they're helping these I don't know warehouse owners businesses to preempt losses, mm. and I think it's more the safeguarding kind of way of of looking at their product and going we're bound to have something go wrong, so let's use this product to help define where we want to get to. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And also they made this thing in the interview where they said a lot of the businesses I think that they speak to their current customers, they say, oh, this couldn't have been the first time this happened, but it's obviously the first time that they've realised it. Yeah. So then it makes you think, if you go back years, are we making losses or is deficiencies like this happening? Yeah. Which could have been overturned, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we had Chris Johnson on the show last week from Nokia talking about Web 4.0, talking about the idea that AI could be applied to heavy industry and now, here yeah. we have, it's almost like it's planned, mm. a perfect example of a tech startup going into a warehouse where yeah. you have very clear um, repetitive um, actions yeah. and it allows you to zero in and, and to make those predictions. Yeah. And what they're not trying to do, you know, as I think it's Dan that says it, it might be Kieran, um, you know, leave health, and, leave health and safety to the health and safety experts. They're not trying to tell those people how to do their jobs. They're yeah. just giving them the tools to, as you say, yeah. make those improvements where they can in, improve the health and safety record. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the time you, you kind of think AI does an all singing, all dancing sort of, you know, it's going to be, I don't know, neon lights and a lot of things happening with an AI product, you know, for any industry. And what they, these guys are showing is they can do something in, in an industry, like you said, it's quite repetitive. People might not associate AI with a warehouse or with warehouse operations yeah. or, you know, that sort of thing. But they're giving people almost an edge yeah. um, that do use their product and obviously their customers. Because if you were to ask me before the interview, go name me types of, you know, or name me operations in a warehouse that you can use AI in. I wouldn't really say health and safety. I'd maybe. But when they start explaining it, then you're go, like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, of course, obviously. of course not. I'd maybe think, you know, maybe you know, understand how many pallets and boxes you have and how many Amazon deliveries you need to get out and, mm. you know, things like that, right? But when they start explaining it, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Why wouldn't yeah. you? That's so stupid of me to not think. But anyway. Um, it's probably why we're not running a business. Probably, yeah. yeah. Probably what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah. But I love I love the um, the piece around uh, enthusiasm that uh, you know they're not if you go in and you say we're the experts you're going to get pushed back we're just there kind of showing up enthusiastically showing off our products and I love this bit about sales being the transfer of enthusiasm from from one person to the next mm. such a simple idea and so applicable to lots of different industries but also obviously growth when you've got a startup yeah because people can think you know you've got to go in there and sell mm. in kind of air quotes and they're not doing they just they they know that they've got something that can add value and yeah. they're keen to show it off yeah and also i think that enthusiasm probably goes hand in hand with passion mm. and obviously they're gonna have a passion it's their business you know kind of 
they spent the year out of the industry, then kind of went back in, went into research. I think one of the guys said that, you know, kind of did a degree, then went back into research and they kind of met and sort of pulled them out again um, into the business. And I think it's more not going in. And they seem quite honest and say, look, you know, we're probably not going to be able to solve every health and safety issue that you have. But, you yeah. know, what our product can do is, is align to kind of what you need and, and possibly then, you know, help you not to incur as much damages down the line mm. um, and also be, you know, in a good position to know kind of what you're doing right now. So I think it's really, really decent to be fair. Yeah. Um, really, really like it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in about 60 seconds um, with a tiny bit more chat and then a second interview. Here at Tech Talks, we're very lucky to have a lot of content and sometimes we're not entirely sure what to do with it. For example, when we go to a conference, we will quite regularly meet 15 or 20 people and not know how to get them all on the show. So we've created something new, Tech Talks Extra, for those snippets from conference floors or from one-off events that we don't quite know how to fit into your regular Tuesday show. Tech Talks Extra is free. It's on a private RSS, so you do need to sign up for it and subscribe. But as I say, it's free, and all you need to do is hand over your email address, and in return, we'll give you instructions of how to access all of that additional content. To get instructions and to sign up to the show so you can play it on Apple and Google podcast players, all you need to do is go to www.nashsquared.com forward slash the hyphen hub forward slash tech hyphen talks hyphen extra hyphen sign up hyphen form alternatively have a look at the link in the show notes probably a bit of an easier way to do it don't miss out on all the bonus content that we've got from the likes of web summit unleash world or from any internal events that we're running right one of the things that the protex are talking about was raising and they start they talk about starting very early on working to understand the customers they're selling to and looking for advice um not investment necessarily, but to leverage and learn um, and, and finding people that they could talk to where there were ideas and conversations that were already in their space. Mm. And, and all the way through this, there's that, that sentiment that they're not the experts. They're looking to learn. Mm. They're looking to get ideas. Our second interview today, Max, he's CEO and founder of Wilder. And in this interview that we'll play to you in a few minutes, he says that, he sees it as his job to surround himself with people who know more than me. Mm. And I think when you start on a business, mm. you've kind of got this idea that you need to be, oh, I'm coming and I, I can fix a mm. problem. And that can lead you to think that somehow you need to be the person with the answer. Mm. And here's two examples of, of organizations who are almost flipping that on the head and saying, no, we're not, we're not coming in as the knowledge as, the, as, the, as the, yeah. the point of knowledge, we're surrounding ourselves with the, with the ideas and stitching it and putting it together. Yeah, I think so, and I, and I think that's huge because you're not coming in as the oracle and the all knowing and you know kind of oh you know I, I know everything about everything. And if um, you if you're like 25 years old and entering a legacy a legacy industry, that's just going to put people's nose out of joint. Exactly, exactly that. And also, I think what's going to happen is you're going to put you you're. you're you will trip up and you will fall up and slip up, trip up, fall up, slip up. Um, but I think it's about when you surround yourself with knowledge and people, 
that are able to kind of talk or help you in the right direction, mm. advise. And you hear a lot about angel investors and stuff, right? But obviously, there's a lot of people that you can just learn off that won't necessarily want an investment in your firm. Mm. But maybe it's about how to... I mean, we've had founders on this podcast, right, that maybe operationally it's not been their strongest point on. So they've, you know, how to do accounts, how to do tax returns, how to do the financing bits, right? Yeah. We've had founders on this, you know, podcasts that have had great ideas, innovative ideas, but it's about how do we get this across? You know, how, how are we going to take this to market? Because yeah. what we know is what we've got is really good, but how the hell am I going to bang the doors down of some of these big organizations? And, and in this case with Wilder, um, it's 16 banks, I think. So this was recorded just prior to Christmas last year. So at the time, 16 banks had had $1.8 billion worth of fines mm. levied to them for details being discussed over private private messaging with regards to deals. Yeah. Um, and, and basically, what they're trying to do here is add an element of visibility so that those messages could be audited. Yeah. Because if you've got end-to-end -end encryption in something like WhatsApp, yeah. it's secure, but... It can't be audited. Yeah. And I was listening to this, and Max talks about the fact that, you know, yes, of course, there will always be bad actors, but, mm. but for the vast majority of people, they're just trying to do their job. Mm. We use WhatsApp all the time to talk to clients, to talk to yeah. And you kind of go, all right, financial regulations and whatever else, yeah. that's a bit, you know, it's not quite the same as the world of recruitment. But you can see how people are just trying to get their job done. And therefore, again, you're talking about something where there's huge pressure, huge scrutiny. Max in his 20s, as mm. as bright and as, as articulate as he is, and with a wonderful idea, he needs people mm. who can give him that credibility to open the doors of these banks that are getting dished out huge fines. Exactly. And I, and I think a lot of the time, people probably, like in, in this case, they probably don't want to admit to their shortfalls, right? But I mean, it's out there in the media, it's out there in the press, they obviously have, and that's why they've been fined. So it's about him kind of going in and going, look, this is not, uh, you know, someone, or this it's not like an extra pair of goggles or eyes and we're not going to be watching everything you write, but it's somewhere it allows you to monitor, influence and change before getting, you know, your wrist slapped by the um, by the authorities. So, In a very, very, very hard slapped way. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, what would you rather do? Pay, you know, pay for something like that or pay the fine and get yeah. the bad press? So. Yeah. yeah. Well, play this interview. But Akish, thanks for your time today. No problem. So this morning I'm talking to Max Bucken, CEO of World R or World Er. Maybe maybe I should have checked with you before I hit record if it's World R or World Er. It's Wilder. It's Wilder. But thanks for checking. World Er. <laughs> How are you this morning? Yeah, not too shabby. As I briefly mentioned before, I ran for my morning coffee and it was extremely chilly. But aside from that, pretty pretty good. It's uh yeah, happy Friday indeed, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, have you had Christmas parties yet? Are they still to come, given we're on the, the 9th of December? My my better half has, and she uh, she's organising them. And I kind of turn up for the amazing amazing food that she's prepared for all of her friends. But uh, it's been a bit intensive with work, so I kind of stop in for a quick bite and then, then they're upstairs. But uh, yeah, aside from that, it's getting very festive already. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, look... Um, Put that to one side. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Wilder and find out a little bit uh, more about what the business do, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks so much for, for having me on this morning, Dave. So, um, so Wilder, we build 
privacy security tools for existing communication infrastructure. But that might not mean a huge amount before I kind of go a little bit more into the context. So um, as you as you uh, kindly said, my name is Max Bucken. I'm the founder and CEO of Worldup. Uh, but before this, I was involved in another startup that was more in the fintech ecosystem. It's a company called CoinShares, which you, you may have come, come across. Um, I was very, very early on in that journey, um, working for the co-founder and CEO, Ryan. And what was really interesting is it grew from like a few people to, you know, 150 to I think 200 at its peak, um, if I remember rightly. And it was this kind of fantastic growth journey. But what was interesting for me, it was it's the first time I had operated in what became a fairly heavily, heavily regulated financial ecosystem. So, you know, between New York, London, Stockholm, Paris, all of these had slightly different rules and regulations around data, around privacy, around all this stuff going on. Um, and yeah, it was a really interesting journey. CoinChest later went public, all of that good stuff. Um, and as I said, so, so it'd been fairly successful journey there. I, I left, so I started there when I was just turned 22, uh, left out of that, um, about 24 and a half to, uh, to go and wind my way, my way up to Worlder and kind of work out how to build essentially what we ended up building now. And the thesis, I guess, when I was starting this was when we were looking at this problem at CoinShares and this problem being, what if you operate in many different regulatory territories? What if you have a lot of sensitive data and you have difficulty sharing that or communicating it? And at the time, there were so many different apps. Like there was a compliant app for this thing. There was a secure app for file sharing. There are all these different things going on. But I guess my own kind of thought process around this was it's extremely difficult to get people to change behavior and get off Slack, get off Teams, get off whatever they're doing and get onto this new secure thing. And I was thinking, well, if it's hard getting 150 or 200 people off a platform and onto something more secure, it's going to be bloody hard if you're a 200,000 person organization getting everyone off something like Teams, something like that. Um, so I guess what we what we set out to do here at Wilder was what if we could build this kind of second layer privacy, security, compliance infrastructure, but on top of the existing platforms. So, you know, if you're on Teams, if you're on Slack, if you're on WhatsApp, whatever, you don't actually have to do anything. Your users don't have to change behavior, but we'll build that kind of data security, privacy layer, compliance layer, all in the background and keep them safe while they continue doing their job. Uh, that was the thesis, at least, Dave, if that's helpful. Sorry for the very long answer to your initial question. No, but it's it's interesting because look, this is an area that I'm I'm not particularly familiar with. Um, so let me let me get this straight, and I think it's good for context. Um, in the US, what sixteen banks have been fined one point eight billion dollars this year for employees' use of messaging, uh, uh, private. Sorry, for the use of private messaging apps to discuss deals, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, and it's um, which is it was kind of mind blowing these figures, um, how how large they're getting, and as you rightly said, Dave, that's just this year, right? I mean, you know, it was a different story. It was just starting last year, really, to to, to spiral this year's, and who knows what's going to happen next year? Um, it's still kind of a potentially slightly inadequately um, solved problem, which is hopefully hopefully um, what we're looking to solve. And to be clear on this, I mean, where we we started as a security company, so we're a cybersecurity company building these privacy security layers. Uh, this product we have for WhatsApp is our first kind of foray into, into compliance because just to be clear, if you're a banker talking to your your client, your customer, 
um, you not being able to record those conversations through your private messaging apps, that's not a security issue, obviously, you know, because you could be doing it through Signal, which is obviously a phenomenal consumer product. It is, however, a huge compliance headache because the SEC, and it's the same with the FCA, by the way, in London, they have all these remits that they have to know what's going on. So they have to know what recommendations are being made by, by the bankers. They have to know, you know, what they're suggesting to customers. Because, you know, if you've got a banker in London and they've got a customer in Singapore and they're making all of these suggestions on how to uh, how to manage finances or, or, or what stock to buy or, or whatever it is, right? Um, as you can imagine, it's a bit, it's a little bit scary if none of that, like none of that can be compliant because you've got this wave of information, the swathe of information, sorry, and uh, and none of it can be uh, could be um, essentially recorded because these are all end-to-end -end encrypted. So that was kind of the challenge is how do we make sure this is safe? How do we make sure it's compliant? But the key thing was we didn't want to get in the way of the banker just trying to do their job because I fundamentally believe these aren't bad actors. I mean, of course, you have the occasional bad apple, but I think in that case, you can go to fairly extreme measures, Dave. You know, you can go, if you really wanted to, you could go and buy a burner phone or, or whatever you wanted to do if you really wanted to go off the grid. Uh, my opinion, at least, is most of these people are not bad actors. They're just trying to get on with their job. They're just trying to get a deal done. They're just trying to progress and do it in the most efficient way that they can. However, these fines have really started cracking down on these not being uh particularly great ways to get these things done so i hope that kind of makes sense dave from from mm. a starting point at least how keen are whatsapp on this because one of their big selling points is end-to-end -end encryption is is you know at the minute like i i put on i listen to a bunch of different podcasts typically not about technology if i'm perfectly honest i listen to the guardian football weekly and one of the adverts they've got right now at the beginning of pretty much every show is um or maybe not now during the World Cup, but certainly beforehand was, hey, on WhatsApp, we can message securely. We can message, and I get that's an issue for the banks, but for WhatsApp, are you are you kind of hacking something that maybe they don't want to be hacked? <laughs> you know what? It's uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Uh, and look, um, Meta's done a really good job at, um, especially kind of in the, if you look at the development of the security posture of WhatsApp, it's been a really interesting roadmap that we've seen. Um, if we go back slightly to what end-to-end -end encryption is, uh, just, just for a minute, right? I mean, the, the, it's a very simple premise. You know, we have two ends, one being my phone and, and Dave, one being your phone, uh, those being the, the, the two ends there. And the reason why end-to-end -end encryption is you and I, Dave, are the only ones with our own private keys who can unlock these messages. And the reason why that's so important is because when you have a consumer product like WhatsApp, like whatever it is, you have a trusted intermediary. Right, which is the server? It's the it's the it's the it's the it's essentially the company that processes all the information, stores the information. In this case, it's WhatsApp, um, yeah, or Meta, or you know, it used to be known as, as as Facebook. And that's a that's a that's a huge problem when you have you know billions of users messaging all the time, and you're the one processing that information. So end-to-end -end encryption is a phenomenal invention to make sure it's only the end users that can have that information. So the point is from the security posturing, we're not really changing anything. The security is still there. And from a from a WhatsApp level, WhatsApp still can't access any of the messages. What we're saying is essentially when you're taking when these messages are taking place, when you're communicating with your customer, those are still secured and they're still completely opaque to WhatsApp itself, which is processing this information. However, through your device, you're just taking a record of some of the conversations that have been had with some of your clients where relevant, right? 
and those are only going to the chief compliance officer. So it's not like these are, you know, kind of decrypted and then sent back to WhatsApp or sent back to us. And that's a really, really important point. And one of the challenges actually, Dave, in this space and very specifically like my, my sub sub industry that we're talking about now, if we, if we look at this, uh, if we look at this space, one of the challenges is when companies build SaaS products for this kind of thing. And what I mean by that is if you're a SaaS provider, you know, if, if we had decided to do it this way, we would essentially be saying, hey, we'll allow you to kind of decrypt these messages. You send them all to us, we'll store them and process them and then give them back to your compliance officer, which I think is actually a really dangerous thing because now you've got two risk vectors. Now you've got essentially two places of attack. So here at Worlder, I mean, we don't run any servers. We don't host any encryption keys. Our technology is purely run on the customer's side in their own environment. So we don't host anything ourselves is what I'm saying. So it's not like all these messages are coming to, to Welder who processes them, process them and hands them out. We are spinning up that infrastructure in the customer's environment. So nothing essentially leaves their own environment. So I think that's a really, really key point, especially with this particular problem. Uh, but we can go very down the rabbit hole, Dave, I, I realize. Right, I'm going to have to frame this question in a way that it doesn't sound offensive, and 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 I hope it doesn't, because <laughs> as 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 I'm listening to you, you are you are incredibly knowledgeable and impressive on this subject, right? But how does a business that's been around for three years, led by someone in their mid twenties, with a team of perhaps twenty plus people who are looking to expand, convince organisations who are losing billions of dollars to trust them? Uh, no, look, it's a fantastic question, Dave, and it's uh, I'm not the first, and I'm sure not the last time, you know, I had this. Uh, one of the funny things is I am, a, if it's helpful, I am the youngest person in uh, in Wilder by, by quite quite a long way. We have some very <laughs> clever clever PhDs uh, making this who are a lot cleverer than I am, if that's helpful. But I think um, it's it's a really good question, and I think it for me at least, this comes back to raising investment uh, when when you're building startups. And what I mean by that is uh, when, when I'm looking to raise investment normally the last thing that you're thinking about is the monetary element because capital is great. It helps startups to expand. And you might've seen Dave, we, we just raised our seed round, which is about 11 million. Um, and it's great. And it allows us to build a team and do all the things we want to do. But the most important thing is who those investors are. How can they be impactful in different ways? And also, uh, frankly, when you're selling into specific industries, having people from those industries, I I'll give you an example. This is obviously all public in our recent press release. If, if you saw any of this, but we, Brought in a guy called Hussein Baig, who just stepped down. He was the group chief operating officer of HSBC. Uh, we brought um, Alex Walsh, the senior managing director of Blackstone. So we're very lucky to have some really fantastic individuals. And then in our pre-seed last year, brought in a chap called Andreas Fuchner, who's a you know close friend of mine now. We've, we've known each other a, a good amount of time. You know, he was the CISO of UBS, CISO of Novartis. He was the group head of IT and risk at Credit Suisse. I think I, I suppose I kind of see it as my job, Dave, to kind of surround myself with people who just know more than me, who have these these you know really blue chip backgrounds, um, and kind of really really have helped us. Not just not just introductions, not just hey go and meet this person, but also just really thinking about how the product should look, and how it's going to be efficient, how it's going to really work. So um, I can't really take too much credit for that, Dave. I just have a phenomenal group around me. I would say. 
Well, look, thank you for taking that question in the spirit in which it was intended, which is fantastic supporter of, of, of startups and entrepreneurs. But at the same time, it's, it's the kind of the question, the optics that someone, someone in that sector might, might well ask. And I imagine you've been asked before yourself anyway when you're, when you're talking to customers. Sorry to interrupt you, Dave. No, I was just going to say just to, to, to finish that point. And it's, it's a great one. And it's, I'm in a very luxurious position now where we raise some money and have a great backers, but it wasn't always the case. And there's, I think, you know, Dave, you've been around startups for so long. I think in the early days, it's extremely difficult, right, as well. Because you kind of have to be like both robust in your vision, but also a little bit naive, I would say, because if you were super logical about, you know, I was a 24 year old going and starting this company when you have this big vision, it's almost nonsensical in a way. It's almost illogical. Um, but, but then you, you, you know, you spend enough time, bash down enough doors and, and then you start to get momentum. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt, Dave. That was my final point on that. No, not at all. Uh, look, you mentioned about the, the uh, 11 million raised, um, allowing you to, to grow. What's next? Um, you know, as as you as you look to uh, solve this problem that's that's causing so much angst for for financial institutions, it must be it must be very exciting to have that money, but it must also be a bit of a headache to know exactly where to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's also the um, there's also the operational angle, which um, I do very little of. I have a fantastic co-founder and COO who's a corporate lawyer, like an M and A lawyer by background. It's extremely useful when we're kind of scaling. Um, as we are now. And I think to answer your question more specifically, Dave, I guess there are three components. The first is uh, first is product, the second is geography, and the third is team. So to take the first one from product perspective, in terms of where we're trying to get to, and, and the reason why like, it's really interesting to go down the rabbit hole and talk about compliance, talk about WhatsApp, but the, the challenge for me is it's only like a very, very small part of actually what we're doing. Like originally we built this team this product for microsoft teams which was a security product which enabled you to run essentially teams or a part of teams in your own environment and secure it yourself doing the same with slack and we you know we're you know we're halfway through formalizing a partnership now with microsoft which is fantastic through their isv program uh, microsoft have been extremely supportive to us um same for slack and now for whatsapp i think in terms of where we're going dave we're trying to be completely agnostic what I mean by that is we don't really want to have a view on what products we plug into. We want to build the world as this kind of infrastructural layer that sits beneath anything a company wants to use, right? So today it's Teams, it's Slack and WhatsApp. Tomorrow it could be Outlook and Gmail. And then, you know, it might be SharePoint, it might be Salesforce. I mean, we kind of want to build this layer where an enterprise or a medium SME or whatever it is can just say, hey, I want to plug it into this and it, and it works. Obviously, we're a long way from that. And this is, uh, right now, it's a bit of bespoke integration, but that's where we're trying to get to. Um, but yeah, second is geography, opening up a New York office this month and a UAE office early next year, which is exciting. Um, and then that comes with building the team. So uh, I think, honestly, that the team is probably um, the facet that I'm most excited about, um, as it's always the most important thing, I think, in startups. And we have a great team and we've got a lot of new joiners. We just hired the GM from Kaspersky. If you're familiar with this uh, cybersecurity company, the GM of UK and Ireland just joined us as VP, VP of sales and EMEA. Our New York office is getting pretty exciting. We're, we're expanding the US team quite aggressively. So whereabouts in, in New York are you? We're going to be very near the Flatiron building. So, Oh, nice. I was, I was there two weeks ago uh, oh, conducting nice. a bunch of interviews in New York. It's, it's a very... 
it's interesting. We talk about the US, we talk about the West Coast, we rarely talk about the East Coast. It is it is a, a, an amazing environment there with everybody in the city kind of to make things work. A hundred percent, David. I was there, I think we just missed each other. I was there, I think, three weeks ago. And, and you know, like, <laughs> so I, the West Coast is, is great. And I think especially when you, you know, looking to meet VCs and really in, in, in terms of the ecosystem there, for us, because we're really an enterprise software, you know, everyone's in New York, right? Uh, you know, without exaggerating, but you can pretty much meet most companies you're trying to try, uh, trying to get on the phone with or, or a meeting with. The other thing for us is in terms of industries, we are moving more into defense as well. Next year, that's a really big focus, defense, military applications. So it's probably no secret that I spend quite a lot of time in DC and now Brussels. So that's the other piece uh, of the equation. So obviously without going too deep, deeply into that, but that's a really interesting focus for next year as well. So um so yeah, and then finally the, the UAE office, which will open in Dubai. So a lot going on, Dave. I seem to be Very aging, in, times. aging in dog years. Is how it feels. <laughs> well, look, it's it's probably a good thing that you give yourself a small amount of downtime over the festive period. Uh, fingers crossed that does happen. But uh, it's very exciting. And thank you for spending some time to tell us a little bit about about what you're doing and what you're planning to do uh, this morning. No, I really appreciate you having me, Dave. And hopefully next time we'll meet for a coffee in person. Yeah.